Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. All right, so here we are today in Acts chapter 10, and we are going to do the entire chapter uh, just because of the way the narrative flows. If we were to try to break it up into two or three or four weeks, um, it would end up being pretty clunky. This, the whole thing really, it works well to just communicate all at one time. And so in the passage today, we're going to see the gospel get out of Jewish territory and into Gentile territory. In, in the scriptures, there are basically two peoples. There's the Jews, the covenantal people of God born in Israel, and then there's everyone else, people like us, Gentiles. This is where the gospel gets to Gentiles. And Gentiles are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the reception of Jesus and his gospel. But it's not only the Gentiles that undergo a change. The church, the Jews that had now begun to follow Jesus as the Messiah, they had to undergo a change because their, their customs taught that they couldn't share a common meal with unclean people, much less a common Savior. And yet, what we see today is that the gospel... The gospel is about the Messiah. The King of Israel is, in fact, the King of all of creation, including Gentiles. So that's where we're at today. Jesus had made the promise in Acts chapter 1, you know, you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And here we go. It's getting into the uttermost parts of the earth. So here's what it says in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. All right, so uh, this place of Caesarea uh, was, the, was, a, was a capital place, a residence for the Roman governor. Uh, it was primarily a Gentile city. Uh, it also, there was a lot, uh, there was a lot of, well, Gentile and Greco-Roman culture in this particular city theaters and amphitheaters and gymnasiums and it was very much so a greco-roman city uh, and there was a man there named cornelius he served in an italian cohort he served in the military he would have been um, uh, one that was tasked with overseeing a hundred soldiers and so cornelius uh, was a military man of high rank and it says this in verse 2 a devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So this is a Gentile, a devout man who loved and feared God. And he wanted to walk with God. And so he was sympathetic toward the Jewish faith. He, he embraced Jewish ethics and Jewish theology and a Jewish Worldview, and he offered prayers at certain times of the day, and was he practiced what all good faithful Jews do, and that's pray and fast and give alms to the poor. That's what Cornelius did, and so in fact there were there were a lot of people. There's evidence in in history. There's a lot of people that were like Cornelius, um, and these people served to more or less stabilize society. 
where it was so hostile between Jew and Gentile, when there would be a Gentile that would be sympathetic toward the Jews, it would tend to make a place of, that would be more hostile a bit more peaceful. So it says this, At the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord, or sir? And he said, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And so he, <laughs> he's, he's, the angel is saying, God's taken notice of you and your devout life to him. Your generosity to others, the way you pray passionately. God has something to say to you. And so this is where it gets a little bit tricky for us because he's a Gentile and yet does God listen to Gentiles? And one theologian says this, uh, Luke is suggesting that the prayers and alms of this Gentile were accepted by God in lieu of the sacrifices which he was not allowed uh, to enter the temple to offer himself. In other words, God had acted to break down barriers between Jew and Gentile by treating the prayers and alms of a Gentile as equivalent to the sacrifice of a Jew. All right. And so now it says this in verse 5. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having relate, related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so now Cornelius responds. He does exactly as he's instructed. He's su supposed to send some men out to go and find Peter down in Joppa and bring him, bring him back. So he, he does as he's instructed. The next day, verse 9, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, up, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, or literally the word is he fell into a state of, uh, of ecstasy and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Okay, so Peter's doing what a traditional Jew would do, and that's pray at certain times throughout the day. He goes on the rooftop of his other friend Simon's house. He's up there praying. And this was a place that Jews would often retreat and get away for a long time, some solitude. There's usually an awning up there as well for them to hide themselves from the, from the heat. And so he goes up, and he's praying, and he's starving. And he goes into a trance-like state. That's, and the word is ecstasy. <laughs> and he has this vision, much like what you see uh, St. John talk about in the book of Revelation, right? That he looked into the heavens, behold, a door was open. It's very much so in a kind of an apocalyptic kind of feel, isn't it? He has this vision. 
and there was this great sheet or like a great tablecloth. It was like that. It wasn't literally that, but it was like that. That's what Luke says. It was something like that, that that came down out of heaven. And in the tablecloth, there's all kinds of animals, from bird to sea to land, right? Just going, and, and he's instructed, rise, kill and eat. You can eat anything here. You can eat anything. And Peter objects. Going, I can't, Lord, I can't do that. You know what Leviticus 11 says. I can't, I can't eat this stuff. Yeah, I'm hungry. But this is, this is Gentile food. This is not, this is not kosher. This is, if I were to eat that, I would no longer be abiding by our customs. I would no longer be by, abiding by your law. I would no longer be uh, a strict adherent to an Orthodox Jewish faith that, that is marked by certain things like by what I eat or don't eat and how many steps I take on a Saturday and so on. Lord, no, I can't do that. And Peter's doing that because he's still being a faithful Jew. I mean, think, think um, about Daniel. Remember Daniel? He refused to eat the king's food and he's praised for it, right? He adheres to a strict Jewish diet. Peter's doing the same thing. But Peter, if you remember... Back in Mark's gospel, Peter, <laughs> Peter was there in Mark 7 when Jesus made it very clear. It's not what goes into your body that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart. What comes out of you? That's where all the lust and the greed and the murder and the violence and the pride and all that stuff. That's the stuff that comes out of you. And that's what defiles a person. What people eat, that doesn't defile them. Remember, that's what Jesus said. Well, Peter had not really taken that to heart just yet. So, and then the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. And so God here is insisting on redefining some things. And, and Peter's going to have to square with that reality. You see, the Levitical laws, they were temporary. They weren't going to, it wasn't going to be that way forever. They were only there for a while to set Israel apart as holy, to be the light to the nations. But once the Messiah was to come and fulfill the requirements of the law, then forgiveness of sin would be extended to both Jews and Gentiles. And so God was redefining some things. Verse 17. Now while Peter was perplexed as to what vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day, he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had, get, had called together his relatives and close friends. All right. So 
Peter had done some thinking. He had received the vision. The men show up. He's like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Like, oh, there's a godly man just down the road here. And he's, he's received a vision and he's supposed to and come and get a hold of you. And you're supposed to come talk to him. He, so Peter obliges. All right. And you know, as Peter must, was traveling, he must have kept turning that question over and over in his mind. Saying, if I can now ingest food that would have previously made me ceremonially unclean, what does that say about my human relationships with non-Jews? Could it really be that Jesus really does love the whole world, regardless of skin color and age, ethnicity, or social background? Like, he must have been asking these kinds of questions, going, I'm going to a Gentile's home. I've never done that. Hmm. So he's turning the questions over. He gets to Caesarea. Cornelius knew something big was about to happen. He just didn't know what. So he'd already gotten his family and his friends together. The house is packed. They're waiting on Peter. God's going to do something here. I mean, this is amazing. And so when Peter entered, he goes into a Gentile's home. <laughs> that must have been a moment for Peter. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted up saying, stand up. I too am a man. We see this happen uh, a couple of times, don't we? Uh, like in, in Revelation, John is overwhelmed by this angel. And he falls down and the angel says, no, don't worship me. <laughs> that these... That, these men of God, these men of incredible faith that were being used mightily by God, they, they know their place in the world. Peter knows, I don't worship me. The angel says, don't worship me over in Revelation. That is, this is why we, uh, as Protestant Christians, this is one thing, this is why we don't pray to the saints. We don't worship the saints. We don't pray to angels. We don't worship angels. We pray to Jesus, and we worship Jesus. So Peter stops him. And as he talked with him, he went, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? So Peter says, so why am I here? You guys know this is new for me. And, uh, so why, why am I here? He had his vision. He had done the work in his mind. And he even says it. I should not call any person common or un." clean. Let those words sink in. I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter understands and wants the church to understand that every single human being is made in the image and likeness of God. Every face you'll ever see, every person that you ever encounter is made in the image and likeness of God. From conception to
to death, from womb to tomb, every single human being is knit together in their mother's womb in the image and likeness of God. Every single human being has value because he or she bears the marks of his or her creator. Life is sacred. I should not call anyone unclean or common. And this past week, amidst a global pandemic, we witnessed the brutal murder of Ahmad Aubrey in my home state of Georgia by two white men with shotguns as they lynched and murdered him in the streets of Brunswick, Georgia as he was just a black man out on a jog, something he did every single day. My best friend, <laughs> my closest friend, is black. And he called me immediately. And between anger and tears, he wept through the phone saying, I can't believe this is the world I have to raise my son in. This is the world I have to live in. He was describing what it means to feel unclean. He's, he, he went on to say, in just a few years, in nine years, I'm going to have to have this talk with, with my son. The same talk my dad had with me when I was 14. The same talk that his dad had with him when he was 14. And his dad, and his dad, and his dad. And the conversation is essentially, hey buddy, you are being born into a place where you are consistently going to be treated as less than. It's not the same for you as it is for so many around. And, you know, this isn't about just politics, and so I know a lot of people can just try to make this all political, but it's not just political. For Christians, it's deeply biblical. It's rooted within our faith that we get loud about this kind of stuff. Because this isn't a one-off incident. This wickedness happens every single day in our country. Again and again. It is demonic, it is evil, and God hates this kind of injustice. So brothers and sisters, it is our God-given responsibility to be the loudest voices in crying out for justice on behalf of the oppressed and brutalized and harassed people of this world. Our brown, Palestinian, Jewish Messiah was brutalized and murdered, and we contemplate his cross, our salvation, every day of our lives. As a church, we will not be silent. 
we will not sit by quietly and watch people be harassed and murdered and simply slink off into the shadows that our white privilege affords so many of us. We can't do it. We won't do it. So let us lift our hearts in prayer and our voices against this kind of evil because we will not call any person common or unclean. We will continue to serve our Syrian refugees seeking asylum here in Seattle. We will continue to serve and love our unhoused neighbors. We will continue to be a voice of mercy and justice because we follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, he will always lead you to loving and serving and caring, not only for those in power, but for the least of these. People are irreplaceable. They are not common or unclean. So just think, in this moment, everything changed. The gospel was going to make it all throughout the Roman Empire with a, because a theology that says nobody is dirty <laughs> can get out there. Nobody's dirty. It's going to go from Rome to Bangladesh to Lima, Peru to Tokyo, Japan to Seattle, Washington. Nobody is common unclean because of where they were born or what they look like. All right. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you, uh, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear what you've been commanded by the Lord. So they figured each other out. Okay, I know why I'm here. Peter is going, and, and Cornelius is going, I know you're going to say something to us. We'll lay it on us. What do you got? They figured it out. Why are we having this meeting? Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And now watch Peter as he proclaims the gospel. Let me just give you a definition of the gospel because it's so important that we get it clear. What is the gospel? Here's the gospel. The gospel is the announcement that Israel's king, Jesus Christ, reigns over all creation. All right. Verse 36. This is what he says. As for the word of the Lord, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John. <laughs> so he remembers, so he begins, he's going to tell the story of Jesus. And so he opens it with, all right, it began with the baptism of John. You know, that's where he, he begins. 
telling the story of Jesus. You remember the baptism of John when John baptized Jesus and Jesus went into the water and came out of the water, identifying with humanity. The heavens are open. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove and God's voice booms from heaven. You are my beloved son and it's in you I'm well pleased. Gosh, maybe that verse needs to sink down into your soul again today. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. And you, I'm well pleased. We don't have time to unpack all of that for sure, but I do want you to hear this, is that that's God's word to you before you do anything. God said this to Jesus before Jesus did anything in his public ministry. That's God's word to you and for you, and it's about you. So if you're in Christ today, that is the truest thing about you. You are his beloved son or daughter, and it is in you that he is well pleased. You are not God's employee. You are God's child. Amen. <laughs> it feels so funny to amen yourself in an empty church, but amen. That's great. All right. And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So there he is. He's our anointed king, filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed, filled with power. Power to do what? Well, it says he, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God was with him. He was doing good. He was doing good works. <laughs> he anointed him with power. And he, and, he, and he cast out the devil. He overcame the devil. You know, we're not dualists. We don't think that Jesus and the devil are slugging it out for humanity. Jesus, the, the devil is no match for Jesus as he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Then he says this, And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. So he tells them Jesus died. Jesus was the anointed king. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was conquering the devil and healing people. And they took him captive and they put him to death and death on a tree. And this is one of Peter's favorite ways to talk about the cross. He always uses this language of the tree, the tree, the tree. What does he mean, the tree? Well, in Deuteronomy 21, read it if you get, a, get, get some time today. The tree was a place of condemnation. Cursed, as it, Moses wrote, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. It was a place of death, a place of condemnation, a place of rejection, of darkness, of awayness from God. Cursed. And they hanged him on a tree. So when Jesus was hung on a tree, he, he was bearing a curse of God. Jesus was dying for sins, but not his own. He was dying for yours, Cornelius. And all your brothers and sisters and children and your wives and, and all these Gentiles out here in Caesarea and the Gentiles in Seattle, Jesus bore the curse of all our sin. It was all placed on him. They hung Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, was hung on a tree. Okay, so in verse 40 it says, But God raised him from the dead on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who had ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. 
To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. Peter's saying a lot there. But the first thing is this, is one, Jesus was resurrected. He did not stay dead. He was not brutally just murdered and forgotten about. That the gospel is not merely Jesus died for me and for you. But Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus was raised never to die again. You will never see Jesus be murdered again, spit on again, (laughs) crucified again. He was resurrected never to die again. Jesus was raised, and the prophets had borne witness about this, that Jesus didn't show up unannounced or unexpected, but he did this in fulfillment of all that God had been saying to to Abraham and to Noah and to Moses and to David and to Solomon and to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and on and on and on. This was in fulfillment of all that God had been doing through Israel's history. The king of Israel is the king of the whole world. God has raised him from the dead and he's going to be judge of the living and the dead. And so for those that are tempted to believe in some unorthodox heresy known as Christian universalism or something like that, that we all end up in the same place in the end. It's simply not true that there is a judge. Yes, Jesus is kind. Yes, Jesus is compassionate. Yes, Jesus is Savior. Yes, Jesus is the forgiver of sins. But Jesus is also the judge to whom all things are laid open and bare before him. We will give an account for our lives and how we did or did not use them. If you hear that and go, I don't like the idea of standing before a judge. Well, that same judge is also the one that extends pardon and forgiveness and life in his name. Through faith in Jesus, through trust in Jesus, through repentance to Jesus, through giving Jesus your sins, He bore those sins on Good Friday. Forgiveness comes in his name. Forgiveness does not come from you trying harder to be a good person or even trying to do good Christian things. Forgiveness of sins doesn't come with a tithe check or a mission trip or doing something charitable or giving to a nonprofit or doing something like that. No, no, no. That doesn't atone for sin. You can't atone for your sin. I can't atone for mine. Jesus is the only one that can take away the sin of the world. And he does. And he extends life in his name. He's the one appointed by God. And while Peter was still saying these things, while the Holy Spirit, it it fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So there is evidence there. They're speaking in tongues now. They're The Spirit of God is here now. Their their faith is in Jesus. The gospel's gone out. The gospel is now for everyone. The good news is for everyone, not just those born in Israel, not just those born under the law, not just those born with the covenants and the promises and all that went on. No, no, no. It's for everyone. It's for Cornelius, and it's for you here in Seattle today. It's for your neighbors. It's for your friends. It's for your co-workers. It's for anyone who would want to come after Jesus. Jesus will not turn that person away. (laughs) And so Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people 
who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. This is so incredible. This is so unbelievable. To see that this family of God was now expanding. It was including both Jews and Gentiles. Both those who had memorized their Old Testament law like Paul and for those that never even heard of Habakkuk or Nahum or Jonah or, right? That this gospel is so big, it is so wide, it's so expansive, it's so inclusive. And yet it is all exclusively given in the name of Jesus. If you're not a Christian today, I'd invite you to put your faith in Jesus. This is an opportunity for you. You can trust Jesus. You can look to Jesus. You can give your life to Jesus. You don't have to live another day. A whole, you never have to live another day separated from your Creator. You don't have to live another day wondering, what's the point of my life? <laughs> you can give all of your sin to Jesus, and He'll exchange that for all of His righteousness. If you are a Christian, and you've been a Christian for a year, or two years, or ten years, or twenty years, or whatever, the good news is for you again today to be reminded, in case you might be tempted to think you need to walk it off or take another lap or whatever and keep your distance from God because you've, you've, you've messed up recently, you need to hear the gospel again. You belong in the arms of God today just as much as you ever have. You really have been justified. You really have received forgiveness through his name. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.